This podcast is for information only and should not be considered legal advice. There is no representation that the legal services to be performed by LOCA are better than the services of other attorneys. There is no guarantee of the outcome. Success is rendered on a case-by-case basis. Welcome back, everybody. This is Tim Markley from K. Altman Law, and you are listening to the Legally Blind Justice Podcast. This is our 14th episode. And today we're going to talk about K-12 schools because they're about to start in many places and those students will be back in session before you know it. While this could be an exciting time for both parents and students, it can also be a traumatic experience. There are multiple opportunities to get into trouble and you need to understand the implications it may have for your students. We'll discuss a variety of topics to include social media and who you need to know at your school. To dig deeper into this, we are joined by Ashley Martin, who is a student advocate at K. Altman Law, and more importantly, she's a parent of two school-aged daughters. We also have Tanner Brooks, who has a background in counseling, and finally, Nora Schumann, an expert in special education who has helped numerous students and parents navigate the complex world of special education. All right, I wanna thank everyone for joining us today and agreeing to be on the panel. Uh, we've made introductions on, on who is here, so let's just jump right in. Our kids are going back to school. And let's start with you, Ashley. You're a mom of two middle school kids. What are you concerned about sending your kids back to school? Ooh, back to school. I think the biggest back to school concern that we have here is that peer-to-peer interaction. The bullying is, that's, that's a big thing um, where we are. And our school does work really hard to try and curb that ahead of time but you know kids are kids are kids and that still is a lot of the conversation you know around the dinner table what constitutes bullying how do you handle a bully if it's a friend if it's you who do you go to um so this is that's probably our biggest concern in middle school tana you've worked with a lot of our clients who are 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 k-12 it can be stressful What are some of the things that that contribute to that stress of of being in school? Yeah, I'd echo what Ashley was saying. You know, there's there's bullying is a, you know, a huge issue. Um, You add that to COVID that kids are still reeling from social, emotional, ethical issues still. You know, there's a certain amount of stunted emotional growth. Um, Kids don't know how to deal with things on their own and they like to de-escalate. you know, no kid is really wants to be picked on or bullied in that way. Unfortunately, a lot of the data and everything I've looked at says that uh, mental health issues are on the rise, particularly on uh, young women. And whether that's social media influence, whatever, it's online bullying. Um, and I found that a lot of the schools will give lip service to that, but they're not really interested in taking any significant steps to stop it. I mean, All right. So we've got those issues. Who do parents go to to address those kinds of issues? Ashley, Tana? Yeah, so actually, you know, I have the two girls and they do struggle sometimes with a lot of that self-esteem. That mental component is definitely there. I've seen it. Um, And I don't know that it's even that maybe it's on the rise so much as now it's more acceptable to talk about. You know, when I was their age, when I was in that, you know, that mindset in that middle school setting, you didn't really talk about it with your parents. There wasn't that open dialogue. You didn't have the professionals there. Um, So I think that a lot of that is, it's a lot of the same issues. It might be packaged differently, 
um, still the same struggles, but just now is being expressed a lot more. And I have found that even though, you know, our school tries, they try to do their best to provide those resources for students. It's just not, it's not enough. You know, you can't have one counselor supporting 600 students at a time. Um, so for us, we found it was really important to find an outside support. So they do, they have a, a counselor that they talk to independently. Um, but a lot of that conversation is about school. So that's been a really crucial outside resource for us is not just relying on the schools to provide that support, but being proactive and making sure that they have it going into the school year already. All right, Nora, you deal with a lot of our students who are special needs. Um, what worries them as they as they come back into a new school year? I think what worries that I think what worries the students, um, it's more of the parents being worried about the students coming into that new school year. What's it going to look like? What's their program going to look like? How are the kids going to accept? How are their non-disabled peers going to accept them? And they still feel the same things that are their, their peers feel are the bullying, being accepted, even with their unique challenges and their disabilities and being accepted into those classroom settings, those extracurricular settings. So it's being accepted into and having those social interactions and the full plate of being, um, having that full experience of being in the school setting. One of the areas we see a lot of kids get in trouble with is social media. So Tanner, explain a little bit how social media can impact what's going on in, in the schoolhouse. It is, it's very difficult for people, I mean, I'm 43, for us to understand social media exactly what that looks like. But the conversation that's happening that parents and people might are not privy to is just an unknown unknown for most. And it's really hard for people to get their heads around. I mean, we're not just talking about kids watching the same videos and reacting to the same, but there's a conversation going on there we're very deaf to. So trying to get in touch with that world is a very tall ask for a parent. But having an open kind of dialogue with a kid about what's going on there, how they're interacting with other kids, their friends, their peer group, um, probably communication is a first step with your child, um, you know, to to try to understand how it's affecting them. Because I think it would take a, quite an education for us, uh, a lot of people who are parents to really understand and appreciate what it looks like, what their daily lives are like online. Ashley, what's that conversation look like with your two teenagers? Yeah, so we have a pretty strict uh, no social media policy here. So both of my girls, they do have phones. They are, you know, they, they do have a monitored messaging system that they can talk to their friends with, but we, we don't do the TikTok. We don't do the Facebook, um, Instagram. It's just, it's difficult, you know, and they, their friends use it all the time. So there's that conversation is always happening. Like, well, you know, my friends have Instagram, my friends have Facebook and I know, but it's just not, it's not a great means of communication at their age. But despite that, you know, there are still, they have a Pinterest account and you can chat on Pinterest. And, you know, so there are all these different kind of very small ways where that is still part of our conversation. And even just in text messaging, you have videos being sent from different social media apps. Um, but I can say that, you know, my kids know that I look at their phones. 
they we've had conversations about this we have conversations about it a lot you know it's not done in a sneaky way they know that it's done to protect them um and actually having that open communication from me has encouraged them to talk to me also you know i i don't do anything to try to do it behind their back or to make it feel like i'm trying to catch them at something it's very much a hey i love you i want to make sure you're safe I want to make sure that nothing is happening, that you're not maybe understanding as a threat. Sometimes you don't realize what, you know, something is to be dangerous until it's already happened. And they trust me in that. Um, and I think that that trust has been really crucial because they have come to me, you know, proactively and said, hey, mom, there's this conversation that's happening. I don't know how to handle it. Can you help me? And I think that, you know, we can't protect them from everything. We can't stop them from accessing things. There are always these small new ways that the information is getting to them. Um, and I think that just trying to cut it all off is not reasonable or realistic or helpful even. Um, they have to be able to know that we have their best interests at heart so that they can come to us to navigate that. And I think that that's something that we have learned how to do a little bit better now than maybe when we first started managing social media. Yeah, and I would say that if you have kids, you got to talk to them about social media. You need to understand that what you say online, even if you don't say it at the school, will get you into trouble. Mm -hmm. Recently had a student who posted a picture of him that he should never have posted with a gun in his hand, and he was expelled from school for being mm -hmm. a danger to school. Right. So those are the kinds of conversations you have to have with your students. You do have certain rights, and we'll dig into that here in, in a little bit, but Anything that can be a, that can be looked at as an implied threat is potentially going to cause you issues at school. So, Nora, do our special ed kids have any issues with social media? Yes, I mean, just because they're labeled as special education doesn't mean they they don't want to be accepted in you know the have the Pinterest accounts, having the Instagram and the TikTok accounts. They want to be a part of that whole environment. Um, so they do have issues and they even need more protections from their parents and their guardians, um, having those open dialogues with them about what you post on social media can come back to bite you in the butt in the you know, and and you have to be safe and those are our most vulnerable children are those are our kids who may not understand those um those threats um you know and you don't know who's on that other side of that computer screen and everything is so anonymous now so yeah. yes they want you know that's the scariest part is you don't know who's on the other side of that screen and they our our kids still want to be validated and they want to be part of the society of being on the TikTok. They want to be influencers. They see all this going on. So we really need to be more cognizant and more aware and have those open dialogues so we can have those trusting relationships with our kids to talk to them about the dangers of being online. Yeah, no, no. Honestly, uh, the recent documentary came out about um, how do you balance that? Students and young people want to be influencers that they want to connect. They want to create a space for themselves online, yet as soon as they do, for example, let's say with Instagram, you want to keep that public so you can reach out and create a follower content. But if you keep it right. 
But if you keep it open, you as a 14-year-old girl, for example, you are exposing yourself to contact by potentially hundreds of people. You have no idea what their true identities are. Um, right. So it's unrealistic almost for that with they, them having that goal for them to keep a private account that's just among their friends. Um, I I don't know the answer of how you balance that, but it's... I, yeah, you know, I think it it needs to be a conversation also about the mindset behind that, you know, behind the, I want followers, I want to build my personality on the internet. With my girls, it's a lot of talking about, okay, but why? Like, let's auger down into what, what this is in terms of how it relates to you as a person. Mm-hmm. What kind of person do you want to be? What are the things that are important to you? Um, and, you know, I think the fads are a big deal in school right now. And it's with everything. It's with what they're wearing. It's what they're having for lunch. It's what they're watching on TV. Um, But we have conversations about being mindful already of what really matters. What is really important? Why do you want followers? Do you think that having followers means that you are more popular? Do you think it means that you're more worthwhile? Do do you think it impacts your value? Um, And then we have those conversations kind of depending on what they answer there. Um, You know, I had one, my daughter came with a question the other day about, you know, having a lot of friends and she was kind of feeling down about it. You know, well, my sister has all these friends. She is the more reserved one. And I said, you know, do you think that it's better to have 15 friends that you kind of know or, you know, just the small group that you are very close with? And she said, well, if you have more friends, it means that you're like a nicer person and that you're more likable and that more people want to be around you. So that was a good learning opportunity to say, like, look, that's not at all what that actually means, you know, and that you'll find more friends, more followers, more of this doesn't have anything to do with your worth. But if you don't, if you're not comfortable addressing those things with your kids at home, they're going to look for it somewhere else, somewhere else in the wrong ways. Right. But don't you think that that's part of the growing pains of middle school and, you know, growing up and having experiences and, you know, being part of a, 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 a group versus, you know, using your parents as that social group anymore. So it's, it's part of, it's part of all of that. And then you throw in the, the kids with that are labeled special education or on the fringes of society. And that's a whole other conversation that you have to have with them about having true friends and real friends versus quantity of friends. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's funny because actually both of my girls are technically special education. Um, they have been, They've had an IEP since second grade. So that's been something we've navigated. It looks different for both of them. And I do think that having, you know, that peer social group to kind of stretch your your wings in is really important. Mm-hmm. But I also don't necessarily think that every experience is necessary or beneficial in the way that we had them growing up, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. just because, you know, it was part of a, you know, kind of a how would you say it? Like a learning experience that is very typical for most people. We are learning now that that wasn't always great. You know, there are things that I went through that definitely were not healthy and that I have had to unlearn in terms of mindsets 
as an adult that I would rather spare them if it's possible. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not entirely so you have to learn things as you go on your own. But there is something to be said about trying to redirect with a little bit more wisdom for forward thinking to not have to undo so much work. Um, but I will say that it was more difficult in those big transition moments as a special education student when they were in elementary school, they were in, um, for our district, they were in a 12, one group for special education. So they had the same group of 12 students that they were with through second, third, fourth grade. And then we get into middle school and that is gone. They were put into just the, you know, they took more of the special education classes as opposed to an entire cohesive um, group. So they started mingling with kids that they had never talked to before. Um, it was a different kind of setting. They were going from classroom to classroom. And right. that was really nerve wracking for them, trying to figure out how they fit in to this brand new social dynamic mm -hmm. um, while being special education was was tricky. There was a lot of anxiety around that moving yeah. into middle school. And I know that they're already thinking about going into high school, how it's going to impact them too. All right. Now that's a good point to make a transition here. We've talked a lot about this, the social aspects of coming in. Now we know our students are going to get into trouble at some point in their life. So let's talk about what happens when you get into trouble. Uh, you don't leave your rights at the school door. But in a school setting, they are much more restricted. Uh, you do have free expression, but you don't get to disrupt a teacher's classroom. You do get to wear what you want in terms of forms of expression, but even that can be limited. So we, when we're dealing with, with clients and things, we, we see a lot of those situations. So Tanner, talk to me about a time when you dealt with a K-12 student and some of the things that went right in that in that process for the student and some of the things that uh, should have been done better. Two cases come to mind and some of it's generated online. They were they were uh, violent incidents. Uh, one student attacking another in the hallway uh, in a ser not in a you know casual way. And another, you know, male students almost in a West Side Story uh, element that started online with comments made and, and it translates into real world you know situations. And the students are not always aware of how the online space is affecting their, you know, their real life uh, tendency toward things. But there are a lot of mistakes that can be made just getting back into school with the disciplinary process. I think a lot of parents and a lot of students don't realize that, you know, they're, they're going to be held accountable and that a lot of violent incidents, harassment and bullying, particularly a case we had with harassment, intimidation and bullying in New Jersey, um, they're heavily scrutinizing that behavior, even though we know that it's quite rampant. They, it can come down very hard for students and the punishments can be pretty severe. So let me ask this. So if I'm, if I'm a kid and I get into trouble and the principal wants to ask me questions, do I ha am I obligated to answer those questions? I'll, I'll jump in there. Um, no, absolutely not. Um, you know, from a, from a standpoint of, no, the, it's a very difficult thing for a young person to be in that intimidating environment and be under duress and think that they are obligated to speak that way. But no, they, they may be asked to give a statement at one point. Um, they can opt, opt to do that, not at all, or give it later, talk to their parents. Uh, the main thing I think as a student they need to remember is that they do have rights and 
those are within district policies. They may not know no students reading the handbook for the you know for the district, but a first step could be to slow things down and call their parents. Keep it that simple. Yeah, and I, w- I would say if you get into trouble in school and you're called into the office and you believe that you didn't do anything wrong, don't get mad and start yelling at the school official. That doesn't help. But I would suggest just as you said, slow it down and have a com- and then say, look, I want my parents here. I haven't done anything wrong, but I feel like I need an adult here with me to do this. And that, that's a tough thing for a student to do because their first reaction is to back themselves up against that wall and say, I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, now, actually, you were dealing with a with a recent Title IX case at a high school. Title IX's a, a different kind of uh, process at the high school level. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So you know, even even beyond when I was dealing with the Title IX specifically, um, in the past, I've worked with kids who got very close to that Title IX line because they just were not aware of you know what it exactly constitutes sexual harassment or sexual assault. And sometimes it is much more nuanced than you think. Um, You know, with the cases that we have come into contact with lately, um, you know, there is being mindful as a student of how conversations that you might be initiating with your peers or your teachers could, you know, how it could impact that. Um, But I think that for students in terms of protecting themselves, protecting their rights, one of the big things, and not to you know pull it back to social media again, but there's a lot of the you know sending pictures to people, being careful that you're not resending those to anyone else. Mm-hmm. That you're, you know the the things that are being said, remember that you know people can have screenshots of that, and if you are found to have even shared something, made a statement that could be perceived as sexual harassment, you know, that could end up in this Title IX situation where you have to defend yourself for months and months. This could end up on your personal record when it was, you know, it was just a joke or you weren't serious or you thought that it was just kind of innocent flirting and it turns into a much bigger concern. And in in the special ed world, they have a legal document that sort of guides their educational process called the IEP. So Nora, talk a little bit about that IEP and what that means for students in school. In in regards to discipline or just in regards to the IEP? Both. Okay. So all students who have an who have special needs that in, and if they, if their special need impacts their education, uh, their academic progress, we have an individual education plan. And it, what it is, it's a plan that meets that student at their needs. And it's specially specialized um, designed instruction to give those students access to the general education curriculum, but it may not be at the same level. So if it's a fifth grade, uh, if it's a fifth grader, but they're only reading at the second grade level, um, but they're learning fifth grade science. They may be having to accommodate or modify the curriculum to their reading level, but still learning the same content and the same state standards. Um, in regards to discipline, they have procedural safeguards set up through um, the Individuals with Disabilities Act 
for those students who may get into trouble in school, they have a different route of policies and procedures to follow because those disabilities of those students may have impacted that student's decision to participate in that behavior. And we want to make sure that we are not punishing them for their disability. We want to make sure that we're trying to reteach reteach them the correct behaviors. How can I say it? It's um, like another set of rules to cushion that before you can provide the punishment that a general ed student would get. So will the disability be, does the disability impact that student's decision when they, when they had that behavior, if that makes sense? So if, they, if, so if that behavior was impacted by that disability, then we need to look back at that IEP and say, what's the placement appropriate? Is the IEP appropriate? Are we meeting that child's needs where they're at right now? If not, we need to revise that, review that, and see where as a school system, as an educational team, where we went wrong so we can support that student and be more successful in their behaviors and in their academics. So for parents who, whose students get into trouble, what's their first, what's their first step? Tanya, who do they go to first? If you get in trouble, it really depends on, did you hear about it? Did you do it? Are you going to be honest about it? And can you deal with the situation where you're going to be talking to faculty and administrators and do you feel like you can do so in a way that you can say what happened and communicate clearly um, without feeling mm -hmm. pressure? All right. So is the, when I find out that my child's in trouble, I show up at the school. Ashley, who's the first person you're talking to? First person that I'm probably going to talk to in that situation is the principal um, or the administrator that was, you know, directly in contact with my child concerning that, you know, maybe it is the assistant principal, whoever it was that is handling it up until that point. Um, that is who I'm going to immediately. And that's where you should start. If, mm -hmm. you're, if your child gets into trouble, go to the principal, get the details. And I would always tell you to be as calm and as possible. I would tell you to take, take extensive notes because they're going to tell you things and you want to make sure you can recall those things later. I would also say make sure you look at the school's policies and rules um, and make sure that the principal's following those rules. We've had multiple times where we've dealt with students who the school simply wasn't following their own rules. Um, and that's where you sometimes need outside help. And so that's why you can reach out to folks like Nora, who's a special ed advocate, and she'll work with you on the special ed rules. You can reach out to someone like an Ashley or a Tanner who will help you navigate those school rule processes. So as we wrap up here, what's the one piece of advice you would give to parents and students returning to schools? And we'll start with Ashley. I think the best thing that I can suggest is to be proactive in establishing a method of communication and that might look different for different students. If you mm -hmm. are in a situation where you, for whatever reason, can't be open, can't have that level of trust with your parents, immediately identify someone in the school system that you can, whether that's your counselor, whether it's a teacher, um, you need to have somebody that you can rely on to have conversation with if things go wrong, if you get into trouble, if you have a concern, um, because having that support system is going to be crucial should you end up in a situation where you need support. Tanner, what advice would you give? 
I would echo what Ashley said. Things escalate quickly when you're a teenager. Uh, they go from zero to 60 fast. Um, and communication with parents, of course, um, but also trying to, with that school environment, uh, what, how do I, who do I go to to deescalate this? Who intervenes? You know, am I really alone here and I have to deal with this? Probably not. I can, you know, students are always going to be unwilling to get a tag or some kind of label about them if they go look for, you know, someone to punish another student. But if they're looking for an advocate or someone to just understand the situation better and what their options are. And again, yeah, communication is key because it's when those situations are left unaddressed and then a very bad decision is made kind of without thinking that's when it gets so bad it's a lot harder to untangle that mess than it is to address it ahead of time Nora, what advice would you give my advice is to the parents if you see your child struggling um with reading math anything behavior you know go to the teacher establish rapport with the teacher say you know Hey, we're having some, I'm seeing some difficulties. Even if you're having some difficulties at home, it may not be anything, but always have that open line of communication with the teacher because they may be seeing the same things in the classroom and early intervention has always, the data shows that the earlier you can intervene in your child's education and give them those supports they need, the more successful they will be in the long run and uh, they'll learn those strategies. So that would be my advice to the parents. All right. So with school starting back up, make sure that you're going to open houses. Make sure that you're yep. reaching out to folks in the school. Know who those points of contact are. Because at some point when your child does get into trouble, and, and in 12 <laughs> years, every kid's going to get into trouble at least once, you know how to address it. As we wrap up here today, I want to thank everyone for being here. I am sure this is not the last time we will discuss these issues. And if you're listening and you're accused of violating a school rule or are in danger of being expelled, reach out to Kay Altman Law for professional advice. The school has complex rules and policies and procedures to govern what happens. They have a legal staff to advise them, and you should as well. You need experienced help to get the results that you need. Trust a firm such as Kay Altman Law to guide you through the legal minefield and get the results that you want. Thanks for listening to the Legally Blind Justice Podcast. If you have a legal question, give us a call at 1-888-984-1341 or check us out on the web at kaltmanlaw.com.